The League presents Electric People. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Electric People. Today, super excited to have on Nana Ose, Boston North DM, been with the company for how many years now, Nana? Uh, going to five. Five years? Five years, yeah. Hey man, you're an old, you're an old grizzly vet now. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually surprising. Five years, wow. I didn't even... Five years, man. And you've been a district manager in that team for... About a year and a half. Year and a half. Yeah, year and cool. Sweet. Do you ever get tired of being asked to do backflips? Um, no, not really. But lately, I've been kind of cautious because I'm getting older. <laughs> so <laughs> by older, you mean out of shape? <laughs> yeah, that too. Um, in fact, I actually just got on this but for the record. If you're not <laughs> watching this, not as in great shape. By the way, he's like he's being hard on himself. But yeah. No, I'm I'm getting older. Like, like I go to the gym and hit it hard, and I come back and I'm in pain the next day. Feel so a little sore, gotta, feel a sore yeah. a little longer. Yeah, you're getting old. So, How old are you? I'm 27. I'm 27. About to turn you're up I, there. Yeah, I'm still 27 in my head. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'll say that's pretty good. Um, <laughs> it's pretty good. Yeah. Well, hey, man, I'm excited to have you on. There's a lot of topics I want to cover with you. Um, and uh, I think everyone will be really excited to kind of hear your insight on stuff. So um, hold on. Andrew, yeah. you're, you're distracting me. <laughs> what are you doing over there? What is the cat noise on your phone? Oh, uh, all right. Um, so yeah, there's a bunch of stuff I want to get to today and I think you have a really unique insight on it and I think your story is awesome. So I think everyone's going to be pretty excited to hear it. So, um, but I wanted to, before I get into it, I wanted to just kind of get your take on, um, one of the things I'm always impressed with you is just your overall attitude. Like you're always in a good mood. You're always upbeat. You're always high energy. Is that something that, um, you, I'm sure you have your moments where like, you're not feeling that way. So like when it comes to the job, is that something that's intentional? Is it something that you're like, okay, I got to be on my A game. People are like counting on me to like give them energy when, you know, they see me like, is that intentional or are you just always happy and always in a good mood? Like what's your deal? That's, I mean, that's a really good question that you just brought that up. Um, It's something that I do feel like that's one of the things that I can control mm-hmm. in a sense. So even on the doors, I'm like, hey, if I'm overly positive, I don't care how bad of a mood you're in. Yeah. Um, I'm going to somehow influence you in some type of way. Okay. Right? So I just try to be a beat all the time. And even if I'm not in a good mood, I know like, hey, in the team, there's a bunch of people counting on me to be positive. If I'm not positive, the, t- the environment feels weird. Right. Yeah. So. Well, you're, you know, as a leader, especially uh, people take cues from you. So if you're not happy, if you're in a bad mood, they're going to like, it's almost like they take on the personality of their coach. Right. And so, um, you know, it's really, really important as a leader to be cognizant of that. Um, do you feel like, uh, you know, I, you probably even heard me say, like, I would say, it's like, be a fountain, not a drain. 
is um and i do feel like you're a fountain like every time i talk to you i think every time your reps talk to you like you give them life um where do you get yours from like how do you how do you get that like you know because it's like you're always giving 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 but who gives it to you that's a really good question actually (laughs) interesting i mean i would say it's more of um I don't know per se where I get it from, but I'll probably say it's the people that I'm around the most. Um, there's a few single people that, like my sister, every time I call her, it's like the mood that she's in. Mm-hmm. I have to be upbeat yeah. as far as the given. But then it's like once in a while she call me and the fact that she's in a good mood just almost like fired me up because I feel like I have to be the one given all the time. Yeah, That the moment that I see her, I'm just like, okay, I'm good. I don't care what's going on. I'm all right. Yeah. Let's go. It's almost like she sets the pace for you a little bit. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Where where is your family from originally? Um, originally we were from Ghana in okay. Africa. Um and we moved here. Well, my parents moved here first when I was like four years old. So you were born in Ghana? Correct. Yep. Okay. And I didn't move here. So I was in Ghana when I was four. My grandma raised me. My parents came here when I was four. So my grandma raised me until I was 12. And then my parents brought me here with them. Wait, hold on. I'm confused. So your parents came first. Mm-hmm. Then how old were you when you came to the States? 12. Oh, so you stayed in Ghana until you were 12. Correct. So you were your parents came when you were four. Then your grandma raised you until you were 12. Then you finally came over. Correct. Yep. Got it. Okay. Then what? And then uh, it's kind of interesting dynamic because in Ghana, you're raised to kind of fend for yourself mm-hmm. uh, early on. So when I came here, I kind of had, I will say, more of the expectation of when you're 18 over here, that would be the equivalent of 12 in Ghana. Okay. So when I so came- like at 12, you're like, yo, time to move out, homie. Get <laughs> a job. Per se, but- Get a job. What are you adding to the family? <laughs> like what? Like- what's your what are you contributing now correct okay. yeah um so it was one of those where when i came i'll kind of feel my parents um since they haven't been there for so long they're trying to kind of like instill these discipline in me and i'm like i already have this what's the what's the beef you're here? like you lived in ghana <laughs> like you know how it is you know like i'm is. good like, <laughs> i'm already straightened out we don't have to do this all so over tell here. me about life in ghana like what was the what like what were the living conditions like like what was your you know as an american growing up africa just is like the stereotypical is just safaris villagers you know whatever there's huge cities over there Correct. obviously yeah. right but there's also all the rural jungles and deserts and all kinds of stuff so um what was your situation like um so growing up in ghana um compared to everybody that's there i would say i actually had it pretty good Mm. because my parents were over here and in ghana when you have relatives overseas you look they're looked as like rich okay right um, so my parents are they sending money like back to you guys correct like you'll send money every month to take care of us and um we live in a city but even the city when you're here it's like more like the hood but compared to ghana standards it's like hey like you got a roof over your head you're, you're, you're balling eat, you're eating you're good yeah right? and um 
my dad how much who, money were your family sending sending um in ghana at that time a hundred bucks a month was like uh, all you needed we'll take care of the you're house rich. everything like you'd be good right okay so you're living in the equivalent of like a low-income area in the states correct yeah but you're looked at as these guys are doing well correct and you felt like you were doing well. a hundred percent you were like we're balling i exactly. got a roof <laughs> i got eating. money i got a hundy coming in every month <laughs> like we're good like I'm, I'm okay like i got nothing to worry about and yeah. then um you have my dad who was more like he grew up in the villages okay so he's more like all right i gotta make sure this kid has a good head on him so every summer um he would send me and my sister to go to um his parents the village the village just stay there for the summer so that was our summer vacation okay and there you really get to appreciate hey the city is way better because over there you got to wake up at like 5 a.m the village go fetch your water okay and which make sure you what? have water for the day which can what's fetching your water consists of what time it's how far it's 5 a.m okay you get woken up you're how still, much water are we getting like a bucket full and it's like you're putting it on your head yep actually, there was a picture of that actually um you have a picture of water on your head correct i think i actually when i did one of the bloodline trainings i okay. actually had it on there one time can you uh, just walk around with a bucket of water in your head yeah so you can day, balance it or like you hold it with your hands no like i mean i can hold it with my hands but i can balance it as well because if i have a like a cloth i can make like a little bad thing on my head oh really to this day like when we go grocery shopping and we buy like cases of water you throw it on your head and i'm like i'm not making two trips like I, I, I'll, I'll do whatever i gotta do no get this to the upstairs you're rolling around with like a 24 pack of pulling spring <laughs> yep, just on your on top of my head. head i'm like nope i'm not making two trips <laughs> that's great so we're doing that right when we leave here <laughs> like i just we just recorded a podcast with hannah sore the olympian she's an olympic mogul skier yeah we like went on location up to the you know the ski resort with you we're on the stop and shop <laughs> and we're gonna go we're gonna <laughs> get cases of 24 pack of water oh, man. that's so good all right so hold on a bucket is what like a couple gallons um it's more like yeah it's a i mean a five gallon bucket is like well over 100 pounds so no, it's probably it's, a couple it's gallons more like uh i'm trying to get a good comparison it's like you know those big margarine um not even margarine it's like like a regular, almost like a, a regular trash can bucket is okay. probably just comparable to that. Got it. So, all right. So how long is the walk? At least two miles. Two miles? <laughs> <laughs> no. I was going to say like 20 yards. No, I am not exactly. Why wouldn't you live closer to the water? Like, no, what, that doesn't make the, any sense. The water is like, a, it's a mountain that the water comes from. Okay. Right? So, so hold on. <laughs> You're in the village. What is the okay? We're gonna get to the some of the the what some of the other stuff in a minute. Five a.m. Grandpa's like, "Yo, Nana, I'm thirsty. Go get the water." You and your sister roll out of bed. What are you wearing? Oh, like, are you wearing it, it, normal clothes? Are you wearing shoes? Are you what? Like, what's the? It's actually a family trip. So like, oh, the whole, whole fam. Yeah. So like, going to fetch the water. Is you just everybody. every day. Yeah. And this, that's what they have to do in the village. Every day, their entire life. Literally. All I right. mean, for them, I think the whole idea is sometimes they will make multiple trips in a day to fill like a, a whole, like 
gallon, like yeah. a tank. Yeah, of, a big tank. That way you don't have to make the trip over there. But Got when it. we were there in the summer, it's like guests are in town. So uh, it's like if it rains, you got to make like a little fart, like fountain for the thing to fill the tank. Okay. But if it's not raining, we got to wake up. And the whole idea is everybody fetch their own water. And that water, when we come back, we'll like essentially boil some kind of distill. Yeah, because if like you you get a bunch of water and then your sister's drinking it all, you're like, sis, like what are you doing? And you need something to shower, drink, cook. Yeah. So that's kind of okay. So you got a two mile trek. (laughs) Now are there? you know potential predators on this trek like lions and oh, stuff. No, it's, it's I mean, you're in ghana i don't know what, i mean i don't <laughs> gotcha. know are there lions in ghana i don't know no so <clears throat> this might come as a shock to a lot of people but there's actually not lions and tigers walking around africa um, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> you have to go on a, you have to go on a safari for that Got it. Uh, but pretty much we just kind of take the There's trip. not like lions pulling you out of the hut. No, no, no. Absolutely None of that not. Stuff. Okay. If there was everybody, we'd be dead. <laughs> but um, so <laughs> I remember this one trip. Americans are so dumb. <laughs> That's the thing. Like America, it's like we're just, the thing is we just, oh, you know, unless you live there though, you know, you just never know. All we see is the movies. What's in the movies? No, 100%. The best thing is when they ask you, hey, um, this guy's from Africa. Do you know him? Yeah. And, I, and I'm like. You're He's like, like four countries away. Yeah, you're like Ghana is like <laughs> Ghana's from like here to Texas, dude, from Nigeria or whatever. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So, um so okay, so you get the water. So then what? Day so you bring the water back. What's the rest of the day? You bring the water back. Um the adults specifically, they take whatever they need, distill it, so we can all drink some mm. as far as that. And then how do they distill it? They cook so pretty much. And by the way, hold on, guys. I know like our listeners are listening. This is just like crazy to me. And where I'm going with this, by the way, is I think it just sheds so much. It shines so much perspective on like your gratitude that you have for this job now, and like what you have today, and like just the things that you do. And so I'm always fascinated with. Um, like the immigrant mentality because so many of our best reps come from immigrant families or are immigrants themselves. And they just have such a unique perspective on work ethic and, you know, gratitude and money and just like running tap water. Right. And it all comes from these experiences that you have in your life. So I hope everyone that's listening, like, as you're listening going like, what, all right, dude, get on to the sales talk. Like, not as an incredible salesman and we'll get to some of that but like i think it's really really fascinating to hear like where you came from so and this is all part of like the fabric of your story right so it's pretty cool so all right i want to hear so they distill it what are they distilling it with so the way they do it is they have this little handmade machine that they they essentially have and it's like part of the top there's like a little they covered the top of the the pan that they're boiling the water in. Mm-hmm. and then there's a certain part of it it's like the temperature is obviously normal temperature there so what it is when they boil it the water vapor kind of goes up and then it distills through there and then it just kind of flows in and that's like the clean water and every wow. time they're done boiling you see like all these dirt and particles left oh, okay. at the bottom of the um so that's how they're making the drinkable water out of the crazy out of the river water or whatever. yeah mm-hmm. got it Okay. How far is the village from the city? Uh, it was a four-hour drive. 
Four hours. Okay. So you drive four hours into the sticks. That's for the summer. How big's the villa for three months? <laughs> yep. Yeah, you're gonna get you're like that's a like as a parent, you're like my kids are gonna be humble real quick. <laughs> <laughs> so when you come back to the city, yeah. you're like, I have a good like I can't. Right. Yeah, I mean, like, I take away my kids, like, PS4 for a weekend, and they're just like, oh, we're, you know, they don't even know what to do, you know. <laughs> um, so, okay, so a four-hour drive, you're doing the hut village thing. How big is the village? Like, how many, how many like, uh, huts in the village? Is that what you call them, huts? Um, so, in that part of it, it's more like, a, they ha- it's like, they've made bricks, but it's with, like, um, clay. Yeah. So, it's like. And then they have like a normal, um, not shingles, but it's like, I forgot what it's called. It's like the, the metal um, shingles. Oh, They okay. just have that kind of over Just it. like the metal roofs. Correct. Or, yeah, yeah. It's just kind of helpful. I see. Got it. Okay, cool. But yeah, um, I mean, I actually enjoy the village a lot because in the village, there's not a lot of things to do. So everybody's together all the time and we're like make up games and play. So like. For example, like the game Mafia, right? Yeah. We have a Ghanaian version of it where we all be in a circle, the whole house, mm. and it would kind of be everything's together. I mean, that I was see. the fun part of it. So that, well, like that phrase, it takes a village, like that's what they're talking about. The whole village knows each other. Literally, yeah. Do you feel like the village is just all family? Like is the whole village just kind of family? Or are there like people in the village that like are rivals? Or they're like, is everyone pretty much like, yo, if you're we're not getting along with you, like we need you out of the village. It's it's one of those where it's like there's not a lot of resources. So it's like the village all come together and it's like everybody helps each other. Mm. So like if something happens in the village, like everybody knows who your mom is, everybody knows your grandpa. You're not getting away with anything. Yeah. Uh, so it's like, and you guys look forward to going to the village every summer. I, I did because in the city. Like, so in the village, when I went, I used to have the green light. I could climb trees to go get the mangoes and do whatever I want. But in the city, I will like climb. I don't, I actually don't know why I did this, but I will climb the two story building just to say I climbed it. And I'll just walk around it in circles. I don't know what I was trying to accomplish, but to this day, my mom tells me the story and I'll get in trouble in the city. But in the village, it's like, yes, he's getting closer to the pear or to the mango. <laughs> you, or, were, you were lauded for your tree climbing. Correct. Yeah, yeah. Versus he's going to be the best mango punished. retriever. Yeah, versus being punished in the city for trying to climb something. Right. Your childhood sounds exactly like mine. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, no, dude, that's so fun, though. And it's like so crazy to think about. But like knowing you, I guess as well as I know you, it hearing all these and a lot of these stories I've never heard before. So this stuff is all really fun to hear from me. But um, that's awesome. So how? So you came to the states when you were twelve. Now, well, did you learn to play soccer in the village? Yep. Mm-hmm. So in the village, there's there's not really much to do besides made up games and soccer. Right. And it's one of those where soccer every day. You just play religiously. And mm-hmm. it, it actually kind of makes sense now that if you want to get good at something, literally just do it every day. Yeah. And it's like, now I look at how good I was at soccer and I kind of attribute a lot of that to just literally playing every, every day. day religiously. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, I hear so many 
people talking like even on like sports talk radio you'll have callers calling in and i listen to sports talk radio you know daily and every now and again they'll talk about um like say pro baseball for example there's a huge portion of professional baseball now that are immigrants people not from america right they're dominican puerto rican japanese just like all over the world and you're like, how are they? How are they surpassing the Americans in these sports that are American sports? And you're the answer is because these kids that are growing up in villages in Africa that don't have running water, and the only thing they have to do all day long is to play soccer, barefoot shoes, whatever, and they do it the entire day. And you're wondering why most of the pro athletes are from Ghana or from wherever or Dominican. It's like these kids in the Dominican Republic, like the only thing they have is to play baseball from morning until night. And we're like, why is that my kid that goes to practice three times a week for one hour for one hour a day and then plays a one and a half hour game on Saturday? How is he not making it to the pros? 100%. You're like, because there's a kid in the DR that knows this is his only way out of this circumstance is to become a professional baseball player. And this is all he's doing, you know? So it's pretty fascinating to like, just hear like someone that's grown up with it. So, and obviously that served you well because that's how you paid for college, right? Literally. I mean, literally for college, it was just like, Hey, I actually didn't, I hadn't gone to orientation or anything. My first day on college campus was the coach saying, hey, come check it out. Mm. You're, I'm going to pay for your school so you play here. I was like, I don't care where I'm going. As long as I can play and my school is paid for, I'm there. Let's do it. <laughs> so you grew up. So hold on. You moved to Jer- to Jersey or North Philly? Where did you move to when you came to I the States? I moved to uh, Trenton, New Jersey. Trenton, New Jersey. Okay. Yeah. Nice, great town. Mm-hmm. Family town. And uh, family city, right? Trent, New Jersey. Isn't that like uh, the, yeah, the crime, crime capital of America? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, you say that. There's some parts of it that are not. You but know, again, you're coming from the village and from Ghana. You're like, this place is amazing. It's, and I'll actually tell you this too. So like when you're coming to America, it's viewed as like the Holy Grail. Okay. Right? And when we landed, we landed JFK. And that's like New York. So like you get out of JFK at night and all you see is just lights everywhere. Mm. What time of year was it? Summertime? It was fall 2006. So I want to actually hear about this. So you hear your family calls you. How do you find out you're going to America? So my parents were here um, and they got their citizenship after taking the test. Um, They've been trying to get it for a long so time. So they got their citizenship. Correct. Got it. Um, so that makes it easier for us to come there. So literally, we would go from our hometown to the capital, Accra, where the U.S. Embassy is. Okay. And we made countless trips. Trips to get the letter. Trips to get the application to send in. Trips to get the visa. And then we have to go in there and get like... 30, 40 needles in the arm for shots. Like, so, I mean, it's like you had, and coming from a third world country too, they they have to be. Is that, do you have that like scar on your shoulder? Yep. 
Right. I, ha- I have the little. Do scar. they just? Is that from one shot or multiple shots in the same place? Like, why do immigrants get all have that scar on their shoulder? There's one specific shot. I'm not as a hundred percent sure which one it is, but it like burns. There's just oh. one specific shot that creates that scar. I see. But you get a ton of them because um, I've obviously got to make sure you're not. They want you vaxxed. Bringing in, you know, any foreign disease or anything like that. Your body's built this immunity to all the village food you've been eating, whatever you've been consuming. And to be honest with you, I thought I was good. And then I came here and now as rigid and strong as I was now, I got pollen making me sneeze every spring over here. I'm like, what is Your going body's on? just completely <laughs> depleted back to just a soft little flower. It's Whereas before you were just like this tumbleweed, like just indestructible. <laughs> all right so um all right so let's fast forward you come to the states go through school excelled at soccer played soccer in college um eventually graduate and then what were you doing before you started solar um literally i graduated uh college two weeks out of college and i applied for solar got it and were we this company you started with? Uh, we were Vivint Solar. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you started with Solar down in Jersey, um, but you went to college in UMass. Massachusetts. Correct. So UMass. you went to you went to college UMass in Lowell. Uh, UMass Lowell, mm-hmm. which is for everyone listening is like forty five minutes north of Boston. Um, so you went to college in in at UMass Lowell, and then you graduated, moved back to Jersey with your family. I'm guessing. Correct. Yep get a job at Vivint Solar, mm-hmm. start selling. How'd that experience go? I mean, it was your first sales job ever, right? So. It was my first real job, per se, out of college, yeah. right? Um, that experience, uh, it was actually really interesting because my I, I went in for the interview uh, and I remember talking to my manager, the manager at the time, which is Ryan Antonick. Yep, I love um, Ryan. So literally I asked him, I was like, hey, how much did you make this year? And at that time, I think it was like three something. This is back when, when the, you know, before the pay scale for different markets or whatever. Um, So, and I told him, okay, so how long have you been doing this job? And he told me, I think it was like three and a half years or something like that. So that's when mentally I was just like, all right, I'm committed. All I have to do is do this for three and a half years and I'll make exactly how much he's making. So right then and then I was just like, okay, that's it. Everything else, we figure it out along the way. But training was very interesting because I had this 98 Honda that has gone through hell and back. Mm-hmm. Probably put so many repairs. Yeah, no, it was a Accord. Accord, okay. That car was almost falling apart. Uh, and my training, I literally had no money to the extent that I did not know how I was, going to, I was going to start training the next day, like the next week, the following yeah, week. Yeah, like gas for the car. No, right? gas money. And mind you, I lived an hour from the office. So you, to your name, you had zero dollars, basically. Literally have no money. And I have this, you know, if you're African, you know this, where you have this little pride in asking your parents for money. Yeah. And it's like, you rather like, do anything yeah, else. Yeah, go get but, your own water. <laughs> yeah, like go you get really your own water. Like get your own ask. water, right? <laughs> yep, exactly. Yeah. Literally. So um I was at that point where I was like, I had no idea how I was going to train him. So that 
Friday, um, I, it just happened that one of my friends didn't want to work because we all used to deliver pizza where I used to work at Domino's before. Mm. So he didn't want to work. So I was like, dude, I would love to pick up your shift. So I picked up his, ch- his shift, made 50 bucks that night. I was like, boom, gas money for next week. I'm going to training. Let's do it. So that's how I literally got gas money to start my training. That's crazy. Picked up an extra domino shift. <laughs> yep, literally. I mean, and now look at you now, just a spoiled little brat up here, just living large. It's, it's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, um, and you're crushing it now, but it, that's not how it started. And, and, you know, we've had this conversation. Um, you just weren't doing very well. And, did, and then you you had a bunch of friends up here from going to college and they were working for us. And then was it, what, what led to that change from, you know, deciding to move from Jersey to mass. So I was, I wasn't just in a spot where it was kind of like, I've been doing the same thing. And, um, the town that I was in, um, just the environment I was there, I didn't feel like I just, I needed a change. Mm. Right. And, I remember being in college here. I actually really liked living this area. So I was like, all right. So I had the conversation with Ryan at the time. And I was like, hey, this is how I'm feeling. Um, if you were to kind of like point me in the right direction as far as like, hey, um, if I'm going up there, um, where should I go? So that's when he kind of directed me to Boston North. He was like, hey, if this is how you really strongly feel, um, the best spot that I could say would be the right direction for you is Boston North. So um, it's funny, literally four days later, I took, actually, you know what? Let me backtrack. So I went and got a new car after working in uh, Jersey for a couple of years. And then when I was going to get the new car, I was just tired of my old car breaking up. And I literally got a, I leased a Honda. I could barely afford the payments. And I just told myself, I'll be rich. I'll be rich when the lease is up, and I'll buy the car. I don't even care. Like I, even though the miles made no sense, it's ten thousand miles, but I drive a hundred miles to work and back every day. <laughs> and I knew yeah. the miles made zero I mean, sense. Clearly, weren't like a math major in college. <laughs> the math is not adding Definitely up. Definitely not. So I was like, you know what? I'll be rich in three years when the lease is out. I'll buy the car out whatever yeah so literally that car i packed um a memory form i had that was my memory mattress i put that like squeezed it hard enough that it it fit the car and i literally drove up here to boston with the honda civic a memory form mattress taking up the entire back seat <laughs> taking up my entire back seat and literally my clothes yeah. so uh, literally i just took up came up here got um a small little apartment in the college campus um because you know college they don't charge like an arm and a leg for yeah. rent so well and you you um i think you had a little bit of a slow start even when you moved up here but you picked up quick but i think it's the we've talked about this before but it's not that mass was a better market than jersey or anything like that and ryan anthony by the way incredible manager he's one of our best managers we have oh, on the east coast 100 by far i still talk to him to this day and ryan arguably the best trainer we have i mean he's really really good and but it's the what it is is it's the 
it's the principle of sacrifice and commitment that all in commitment right so like you you made an all in decision and a sacrifice where you're like okay i'm i'm moving i'm selling everything i have i'm like i'm all in on this this one singular decision to just put everything I have into it. Right. And then you also put yourself in a position to not have any distractions. So you, you eliminated all your distractions by being in a market way. And I would say anyone that's listening, like you don't need to move to eliminate your distractions, but, um, in this circumstance, it certainly helped you. So, um, and then, I would say in terms of like your journey toward eventually becoming a district manager, uh, you were a little bit inconsistent. Like when you first started up here, Mm -hmm. what, what changed to where you started consistently hitting numbers? Like, you know, what, what was the moment where like the light bulb went off with just the way your life was set up or your personal life or just your work life, whatever, what was that? What were those moments that made you more consistent? Cause I think we have a lot of sales reps that um, they'll hit 15 installs one month and then they'll do five or one quarter. Then they'll do five the next quarter or seven the next quarter. And then all of a sudden they'll do 15 again and then they'll do three. And it's just like, they're all over the place. So what was that? What were those changes in your life that you made to become more consistent? No, that's a that's a really good question. Where so I'll tell you this backstory to that actually. Where playing soccer in New Jersey, I was always looked at as a prospect. Like, yo, this is a super good prospect. This is, and it's like, yo, watch out for this kid. Watch out for this kid. And I never actually like became the guy. Like, he's the real deal. So that's kind of one of the things where. I've always been like, yo, he has super, like, a lot of potential, a lot of potential. And um, it's one of those things where I always wanted to be like, all right, how can I be the guy that people can count on, right? Mm. And at that time, I think that's when, it's funny, electric people were actually just started. And I don't think I've told a lot of people this, but I will literally listen to electric people religiously every morning. And the intro, one of the intro was... You, Adam, on there saying, if you want to be taken seriously, you have to be consistent. Mm. And I'll literally hear this every morning. So I'm like, all right, cool. I want to be taken seriously, so I got to be consistent. And I'm like, all right, what did I do last week? How do I replicate that? And literally, I'll just keep listening to that over and over and over um, to the point that even when I came here today for this, I ask, what happened Andrew. to the intro <laughs> to the electric people? Right? Um, so, yeah, that was... That was one of those, but that all I'm wa- hearing is that I was the reason that you became <laughs> successful. <laughs> a huge part of it. I'll tell you that. Um, I mean, do you have your, it's almost like you have your, your VP in the back of your ear. Yeah. Um, in the I'm morning like Jimmy and Cricket, at night, man, just in your it's head. It's like, Hey, if you want to be uh, taken seriously, you got to be consistent. <laughs> um, so <laughs> it's like one of those. But now, uh, it definitely helped, too, when I moved here. Um, even though I had friends here, I didn't really kind of, like, get involved. I was just like, I have an apartment. You're here to work. I have a bed. I don't even have any couches in my apartment. I don't even which, have a reason which, to stay home. by the way, is a lot more than you had in the village. Oh, 100%. <laughs> so, I was like, all I need is a place to sleep and wake up. And yeah. I'm good. And I was like, wake up, go to work, wake up listen to audiobook, electric people, go to work. 
and I did that consistently for like a whole year. And then I looked at my bank account and I'm just like, whoa, what just happened? Um, yeah. So that's kind of like the realization. So you have, um, and I want to, I want to change gears here in a second, but before I do, um, dude, I've been so proud of your story and just watching you grow. And we were talking before we started recording today that you have some goals and currently, um, with the money you've been able to make and save, by the way, um, you've been able to accumulate how many rental properties at this point? Yeah, I have three, um, and 13 units, 13 doors. Yep. So you own three rental properties, 13 doors, and, um, you just rent an apartment yourself, right? Correct. Rent yep. a cheap, you know, nice, but cheap apartment, affordable. Um, so guys like, listen to Nana, how old are you? 27, 27 years old. He's made enough money easily to buy his own house, but instead of doing that, he continues to live in a cheap apartment. He's now bought three rental units, owns 13 doors, collecting rent on all of them. And he told me his goal is to eventually, uh, he says he wants to have enough money to be able to buy a Porsche. Well, he has enough money to buy a Porsche right now, but he says that, and correct me if I'm wrong, why don't you just tell it? Well, so the rule is- um, Whose rule? It's kind of, I thought about it, and then my girlfriend now also kind of like, wait, I think you should gear this way. So we kind of came together as the rule. Okay. Where I'm like, all right, cool. Um, I want to get the new Porsche, the 992 GT3. And- okay. She's Step like, up from the, the Accord. <laughs> so it's like, all right, I can only get that car if my, I have my own garage. Um, so that means I would need a house. And I'm like, okay, so the rule is until I get to 30 doors, I can't buy a house. Okay. So my goal now is, all right, how quick can I get to 30 doors so I can buy a house with a garage so I can get my uh, GT3. So <laughs> that's the... Yeah, you came in the house today. He, the first question you asked was, he's like, hey, man, you selling any of your uh, rental units? I'm like, get your own freaking units, dude. Like, <laughs> I got yeah. my own goals, Nana. Um, yeah, that's the plan. So 30 doors, and then we're going to get the Porsche. Well, well 30 doors, then we're going to get a house. With the garage. With a garage. <laughs> that's that's when you know you made it. And then we get the with the passive income you're creating yeah i mean i don't think you quite understand how far ahead of the game you are at your age right now especially considering the short amount of time you've been working with us but that's what i i love so much about this job and this opportunity is the people that truly understand the sacrifice required to be successful and then take it one step further the people that understand the principle of delaying gratification those are the people who really seem to like catch the vision of what this opportunity can do for you so i mean a hundred percent it's the opportunity we have is incredible it's i mean how many things can you do at such a high volume at such a high ticket price yeah. per sale right and it's like all this money that we're making now Granted, we, we don't really know how long it's going to be there for. I mean, granted, Sunrun has a long runway for us, right? Yeah. But it's like, at the same time, how can I put myself in a position where if this was ever to go away, which 
I mean, I don't really think it's going to go away anytime soon, but um, if it was ever to go away, I would be like, okay, this is what I have to show for. Yeah, right? yeah. And I don't think a lot of people can say that. I mean, I think a lot of people make good money with us. And then if it ended today, they wouldn't be able to say, wow, look what I accomplished with this opportunity. They would say, yeah, I have some nice things, but I still, I need money next month or else I can't pay my bills. Right? So, so what, um, you know, your goal clearly, it sounds like is to create enough passive income to where, you know, you're building wealth. Correct. Yep. Yep. So, um, let's change gears a little bit. We just had black history month in February. And by the time this episode airs, it'll probably be end of March or whatever. So this, this combo's slightly dated, but the topic isn't. So we just had black history month. Um, obviously African-American, um, I wanted just to get your perspective on being an African-American in a door-to-door sales job and just, you know, I'm sure you have opinions and just thoughts on the whole topic in general. So I guess like what, like where, where do you want to start with this topic? Um, so I want to actually start in the beginning when I first started with this job, as far as knocking wise. Okay. Um, I don't know where I got this from, but. I just made a rule that I don't like for somebody to say no to me, it has nothing to do with my race. Okay. Even if it's because of that in your mind, in my mind, it's not, you weren't going to allow yourself to use that as an excuse. Correct. There's something I don't know or something I have to learn or something I did wrong um, to cause them to say no to me. It has nothing to do with my race. Okay. And I think a lot of times, um, it worked in my favor greatly and it kind of caused me to put those blinders on to the extent where sometimes I'll describe certain scenarios to certain people and that's the first response. Oh, like, oh they're being racist to you. They're being racist to you. And I'm and like, you hadn't even occurred to I'm you. Like, I haven't even thought of that. Yeah. Um, so I think that it's, if you get, allow yourself to use certain things in this, as an excuse, in some cases, yeah, very few cases it might be validated, but Overall, you're just kind of putting yourself at a disadvantage by thinking, oh, um, this didn't happen because of this, right? Where there could be a hundred different reasons why that didn't happen, but you're just mainly focused on that one thing. You're right? just, you don't want, you don't want to feel like you have any type of victim mindset. Correct. Got yep. it. It's like, I'll make it happen regardless what the reason is. Okay. Right? But having said that, I mean, is there, I mean- I think there's clearly validity to it at times. Oh, 100%. Um, I've had <laughs> several instances. In fact- so You can say whatever uh, you want, but really? like the, the facts are there have been times oh, where you're 100%. like- 100%. Okay. Um, Give me an example. So <laughs> um, there's this one. Um, th- this this was, It's actually really interesting because it was a referral that I was going to. Um, and I set an appointment with the referral. And usually when the referral is like, over a 30 or 40 minute drive. I like to confirm if I get there. So I try to confirm this appointment for like 6.30, um, which by the way was a terrible idea. I should have made it way later. Yeah, rookie move. Um, the homeowner didn't answer and I was like, oh, perfect, more time to knock. Um, and as I'm knocking, she confirms the appointment at seven o'clock. And I was like, um, okay, if I come now, my ETA is around like 7.35, 7.45, whatever. Um, she goes, oh, that's cool. So I get there and I'm trying to talk to this homeowner. It starts to get dark. We are outside. Um, I 
she's giving me a hard time. It's like usually referrals, you don't get a hard time. You just kind of walk in and you go straight up. Um, she's giving me a hard time to get in the door. And I'm like, you know what would make this make sense um, even better? Do you get your bill electronic or paper? All right, paper, cool. Just grab that real quick. I'll just show you something on that real quick. She goes inside and comes back without the bill. She goes, what I'm trying to say is I'm just uncomfortable with this conversation. Out of nowhere. Because it's dark out. And I'm like. And this was a slam dunk referral. It's you, supposed you to be a slam it. dunk. Yeah. You know? And I'm like, wait, what are you talking She's about? clearly interested in solar. Like just, I mean, you've done, you've done a hundred of these referrals. Literally. And Got it. She's just out of the blue, out of nowhere. It caught me off guard. She goes, what I'm trying to say is I'm uncomfortable with this conversation. I'm like, what do you mean? She goes, leave my house now. And I'm like, why? She goes, it's dark out. I don't know why you're here for it. And I'm like, I texted you. You know why I'm here. Mm -hmm. So it's like, she was just clearly uncomfortable with my presence. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not like a big dude or anything like that. Like, I like to think I'm, yeah, Not I think you're, kinda, you're cute and cuddly. <laughs> like, I, I don't pose any threat. Um, <laughs> but yeah, she just got really uncomfortable with me right then and then. And I was just like, okay, I see what's going on here. Um, How much of that? So, and by the way, um, for anyone listening, the questions I'm asking you is to better understand. Okay. <laughs> so how much of that, the, the saying... I see what's going on here, which implies um, a feeling of racism, right? Um, so how much, like, how much of she that? She uncomfortable. How much right. of that, though, is in your head versus that's just something that happens to door-to-door -to -door people all the time, white or black or Asian or whatever? Because those experiences have happened to me before as well. Mm -hmm. And the thought of race never enters my mind because I, you know, I'm white and I haven't experienced racism like you have, right? Or any black person. So, and I get that. But is there, is it possible that that question of like, I see what's going on here and your default is racism, but really it could just be, there's a man, I'm home alone and I'm, you know, I, I mean that actually might be right because I I mean, I didn't see I didn't say I see what's going on to her. Mm -hmm. Just in that, your head, that's kind of in my head. I'm like, yeah. okay, she just told me to leave, threatened to call the cops, and I'm like, okay, I hear cops. It's dark out. I'm not taking any chances. Yeah, you're not trying. Yeah, I'm out of here. <laughs> here. Here, so I'll I'll let me answer my question, and you tell me if I'm off or not. Okay. Yeah. So my answer to that question or, or what I've, I guess, sort of assumed is um, I think we all have this intuition where we've done something so many times, like we know when something's off, right? Yeah. Or we know when something just feels a certain way. And so I think um, the way I've sort of like thought through it in my head is when an African-American black person says, yeah, like I see what's going on here. It's it's because they've experienced it so many times and they've experienced it in a way that other people of a different color haven't. It's like, they just know, like there's just this feeling of knowing, but I do think there's probably some times where that can kind of be the default thinking when it's actually just, she's just a woman home alone. And I'm not saying that's Correct. the case in this situation, but it's possible. She's just home alone. Woman doesn't feel comfortable with a guy in her house. And, and I, I get that because I'm like, I'm tall, I'm big, 
And it's like, if there's a woman home alone, like I feel very imposed or like threatening to that person. And so yeah. if like, they're not willing to let me in their home, I'm like, yeah, I mean, I don't really blame you. Like you're home alone and I'm six, four and a random stranger dude <laughs> at your house. Right. Like I don't blame you for not letting me in the house. Right. Like, yeah. But, um, but because I've never experienced racism in the same way that somebody else, like, you know, you have, that doesn't cross my mind. So, but anyway, it's an interesting thought, but like, do you feel like that's, I guess, what's your thoughts on that? So, I mean, she was home, um, but it's more of like, I just felt like it was just bad timing in a sense that her house is all dark. It was a referral. A referral, which she she's aware. It, yeah, she she's confirmed a, it with you. Confirmed, you yeah. I'm coming. So but then like, once she saw you, that's what, yeah. And it's like, I get this pitch talk out. And by I'm the way, like, I think... I think it's fair to say that you're probably right in that yeah. situation. I'm not debating that. Oh, no, so. no. I, it was just when that something like that happened, I don't really like putting myself in situations where even that could become a thing. Yeah. So as soon as she was like, hey, I feel uncomfortable, leave or I'm calling the cops, don't come around my house ever again. Yeah. And I was just like, all right, I'm out of here. And then she shoots me this long test. It's like, how do I even know that's you? Um, you know, <laughs> you're here at my house, and I'm like, you know, it's me because I texted you. That it's me. Like I got your number from one of my customers. <laughs> He's like, how yeah. do I even know it's you? Oh you know, God. you could be anybody. I didn't even see where your car was parked, and I'm just like, okay, all right, <laughs> you man, have a great day. <laughs> have a great day, man. Yeah. So, how do you respond when those types of things happen to you? Uh, a lot of times, I, I don't know what it is. It's just kind of comical to me. Um, cause it's more like, all right, cool. Great. It kind of is what it is. Yeah, it is what it is. I was like, all right, I'll just go find the next customer. And I was actually laughing on my way home. Um, and I actually think that day I ended up coming here, um, to hang out a little bit afterwards. And I ended up sharing the story with you guys. It was, it was, uh, it was funny to me, but yeah. So in what ways do you think, um, do you think just broadly speaking that over the last, because in the last 24 months, it's been a whirlwind of just crazy events in America, right? I mean, we've, we went from COVID to all the BLM movement. Um, and now we're in a war and you're, there's a war in your, I mean, it's just like, it's just like one thing after another, Something the, always happened. the election happened, you know, Biden gets elected, like all these things. So, um, do you feel um, over the last 24 months that from a, you know, let's take the the, the BLM movement. Do you feel like there's been progression um, since then in terms of the way that races, racism is viewed and looked at and approached in, a, in the country today or at least in your world? Um, I like, will say, yes, there's definitely been progress because because of the whole BLM movement. Now it's almost like a, so many people are aware of yeah. it that the last thing anybody wants to be is to viewed be, as a racist. To be viewed as yeah. a racist. So it's like, you know, I have some people even come out and say, Oh, I love black people. And I'm like, <laughs> like that was so unsolicited unsolicited you're like, for you're, you're <laughs> overselling it, dude. Like you don't have to like, you don't have to tell everybody. Like you can just be cool just, and just be you. You know good enough. To, you know. Yeah. And it, it's just one of those where I don't know. I just 
I find it funny sometimes, but definitely this progress being made where even if somebody is racist, um, they make an effort to not like. We well, get called out real fast yeah, too. Exactly. Where it's like, hey, I gotta keep it to myself here. Yeah. In a sense. Um, do you? What about just the way you personally? Do you feel like you personally have experienced? people treating you differently better worse like i mean in the workplace and the in terms of and i say workplace that could be in the office that could be in your neighborhoods that you're knocking in like have you felt a different sense of the way people just interact with you um i will which by the way hold on before you answer before you answer this to me it's just so bizarre that it's such a huge topic that just like the color of somebody's skin affects something so much, you know? And so it's just crazy. And I'm sure that's the way you feel. You're just like, I don't get it. Like I'm a human just like anybody else, you know? And I mean, so it's kind of hard for me to give a good view on that. Cause like I said, I have these blinders on where I'm like, race cannot be the reason why i don't do something right? yeah so in my neighborhood which i mean i'm in a uh, minority uh predominant neighborhood um with mostly spanish people yeah lawrence so, right lawrence yeah yep. so it's like i mean even there i fit in just fine where it's like you know i mean literally i walk in and i start attempting to speak spanish <laughs> like hola yeah. yo what's up amigo and I'm, you know, <laughs> speak any spanish. <laughs> but even the um, do you speak any spanish isn't your girlfriend spanish well your my girlfriend's spanish yeah uh, i know a few spanish you know i know how to say panela solar or you know which means solar panels you can work your way you can work your way through yeah, the deal. Build the like electric bell you know just the key words that I need to be able to communicate. My default, <laughs> if I would knock on a door and they only speak Spanish, so I would just say, uh, I, I need no sobbling less. <laughs> <laughs> Kids speak Spanish. You speak, speak English? Because otherwise, oh, this deal's over. Um, so, okay. So, get back to the question. Yeah. Um, it's more of those, as far as when I say being treated different, I feel like it's more in terms of because I've been doing this job and I have access to a wealth of knowledge and some of the things, it's put me in different rooms where I'm usually one of a few um, color people, right? Where the respect is shown as far as like, when you get to that level, race is not even a thing. It's just, hey, are you credible with mm-hmm. what you're here for? Um, and I think at that level, it kind of, I feel like the topic of race, because of race, I can't do something. It's like low yeah. in terms of like, hey, don't use that as an excuse. There's plenty of people of color. Yeah, but I think you still have to acknowledge it though, right? Correct. It's like, yep. I think you're, so in my opinion, I think you're approaching it the right way by not using it as an excuse correct yep. but i think it's also okay and i think this is what you do is it's it's okay to acknowledge that it's a problem correct. you know it's like yep. it's okay to say hey like this is part of a wider problem that we're working on and i think as a society everyone not everybody but i think large majority of society agreed we're all in agreement it's something we need to work on and um but in the meantime 
Like, like you don't want to let that hold you back from what you're trying to do. Correct. You it's know? like, hey, you're African American. We know this happens. What are you going to do about it? Yeah. Kind of thing. Right. So what advice would you have for say someone starting out with us that's doing a door to door job? They got to go out door to door. They're going to probably experience some racism at some point in their career with us, you know, probably sooner than later, especially if they're say a black person knocking in a white neighborhood or just any, you know, it's just like they're going to experience it. Right. So, so what advice are you, do you have for somebody that runs into that situation um, especially early in their career with us? Um, the advice I'll give them is the first thing you got to be aware of, just be aware that it's going to happen. Mm. That's just the nature of it. Um, and just kind of accept, okay, this going to happen. But the rule is I'm not going to let it be the reason why I don't achieve my goals or yeah. I don't accomplish what I want to accomplish. It's like, hey, this is obviously going to be an obstacle, how do I maneuver around it and get to where I need to get to? Because I'm going to get to my destination regardless. Right? I think the way that I would, I mean, obviously take this with a grain of salt, but I think the way I would say encourage people to to approach it too is say, look, um, there's plenty of white people that do this job that get rejected all day as well, right? So rejection's not something that's that's unique to a specific race. Oh, no, it's, like you're going to get rejected no matter what you look like. You're a door-to-door salesman. You're a door-to-door salesman. That's part of the deal. You're going to get rejected. So the first thing is I would do or I would recommend doing to anyone that's starting is just keep track of my conversion rates, like keep track of my numbers. Like, okay, so for every and I, I would keep track of, you know, we have this this app Thrive that a lot of the teams are using now where it tracks how many pitches you're giving every day. Like, keep track of how many pitches you're giving every day. See how many pitches it takes to get into a house, make a sale, and then just start working on those numbers, right? And what I would be willing to bet you, Nana, especially you, is your numbers, your conversion rates from pitches to sales are probably just as good, if not better, than... 80% of the companies, if not better, probably 90% of the companies, right? Because you're a really, really good salesman now. And like, you know how to put yourself in a position to succeed. So, but, um, and I think that's, that's the way to kind of take the emotion out of it, right? Like you can say, I'm going to take the emotion out of this job. Let's just, let's just look at the facts. The facts are, I have to give 10 pitches to get into a house. That's it. So for every 10 pitches I give, I can get into a house. doesn't matter what I look like, what they look like, boy or girl, race, whatever. Every 10 pitches, I'm getting in a home. And let's just work on that, you know? It's actually interesting that you brought that up. Um, I actually, to this day, still have a spreadsheet from when I first started where I was so particular on the hours that I'm working where I'm like, all right, every hour, I know if I move at this pace, I can give three pitches an hour. Mm. So what that means is if I work from two to eight or whatever, I'm going to get three pitches every hour. So like I had it broken down literally by a week for a whole quarter to the extent that I knew I, I needed to give six pitches to get an AC and I needed four ACs to get one walking call. That's awesome. And literally I did that for a long time where everything was super calculated. And when Thrive came out, I was like, holy crap. I used to do this way back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it was kind of like, 
our problem just literally we just got a blueprint for everybody to follow it makes the job way easier well um we made you work hard to become a dm in boston north and i think um something that you're i would assume and hope you're really proud of is that you are promoted i would say exclusively on merit i mean it had you know nothing to do with you know skin color what you look like whatever it's just like we made you work hard and we made you do it for a couple quarters in a row and um you know you get promoted and you become a extremely influential leader on that team i've seen you grow you know as much as anybody that we have that works with us and it's been really really awesome to watch your to watch your story and your growth pattern and um i think something that you know, I personally am really proud of, and I, I think you're, you would agree is that, um, the leadership that we have in Boston North, Boston Central, uh, even Boston West, it's like a lot of these teams now, and it's, it's happening company wide. Um, there's a very diverse leadership group now, you know, Boston North has, you from Ghana, Don Gomez from Colombia. Where's Guy? Brazilian. Brazilian, yep. Um, and then Mackenzie Watts, first female manager ever promoted. And then, you know, Jordan, he's our he's our splash, <laughs> our splash of vanilla. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but it's so like so. Boston Central. It's like, you know, Barros Brothers, Brazilians, Breno, you know, and then Alicia. Sure, it's yep. just like, I mean, there's like all of these leadership groups now are so diverse. And what we're seeing as a company is it's opening the aperture for recruiting like crazy. I mean, you walk into Boston North and it's like a United Nations meeting, <laughs> you know? I mean, it's crazy. And it's not crazy. It's amazing. Yes. You know, so it's super cool. There's a ton of women. There's people that look very different. All walks like, of life. <laughs> all walks of life. So it's really, really cool. And when I think about when we started where it was just a bunch, you know, a couple of dudes from Utah that kind of moved out here and, you know, it was not diverse at all. And it's come a long, long way since then. So it's been pretty awesome. A hundred percent. It's it's amazing. How do you like, I, and just kind of end with this, like your outlook just on working in an environment like that, like, what does that mean to you? Um. So for me, it's, it's gotten to the point where it's like, you get to experience different viewpoints every day, different ways of upbringings of different people. So it kind of gives you this almost like, so one of my thing is I want to travel the world to experience different cultures, right? And in the office, it's like, all right, let's bring these cultures to you. And every day I get to essentially influence and be influenced by really incredible people from different parts of the world. Um, and it's actually pretty cool where I'm to the point where I'm trying to figure out, okay, what other countries have we missed? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you're you're cool. collecting them like Pokemon cards, yep. man. Mm -hmm. It's uh, you know, it's cool is we do this. Um, so you work in the New England region. New England does a district manager kind of get together every couple months, and it's a potluck. Yep. So we always make it a point of doing a potluck dinner, and we ask every manager to bring a unique dish from their country or their background uh, to the potluck. So when you come to the potluck, like describe what the potluck looks like. <laughs> it just looks like a bunch of different foods. Uh, actually, this last one I brought, um, 
some jollof rice, and just for the record, Ghanaians have better jollofs than Nigerians. I just have to throw it out there. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I brought jollof rice, and um, I didn't know you were gonna be talking trash on the <laughs> Nigerians' rice. On this um, <laughs> <laughs> a bunch of the guys, you know, they enjoyed it. Um, Jordan here. Hey, and by the some. way, we have Idris Oled Oladi on tomorrow. He's from Nigeria, so we're yeah, gonna no, we're going, gonna hear to we're gonna hear about this. Oh man! All right, so go, let's keep going. Yeah, so I mean, it's just all different types of food, and it's just like you get to experience different cultures by eating different kind of food. Um, and I, I know a bunch of people like Don tried it. Um, several people, and they're like, "Oh, I didn't know goat meat tastes like this." Um, so that's kind of pretty cool. Yeah, those dinners are always fun because uh, some dishes are like gobbled up, like within 10 minutes the entire dish will be gone like the entire like tin or whatever (laughs) and then others will be literally untouched and like i ain't touching that whatever that is we're not touching it so they're like no no it's good i promise we're like cool dude we'll take your word for it yeah those are fun well dude it's been awesome having you on man and uh love working with you love seeing what you're doing keep up the great work all right thanks man appreciate it no worries man hey thanks everyone for listening to another episode of lecture people if you've liked what you've heard and are interested in joining our teams just dm us on instagram and one of us will reach out about how to join this dynamic opportunity you want to come be a part of the best sales team solar team in the industry hit us up Sunrun. Thanks for hanging out with us today. This is Electric People. Take these principles and go be electric. 